We have a tribute to a musical icon and an American hero on the Music Universe podcast. I'm Buddy On. I'm Matt Bailey. What a sad week country music and the world really has been roiled by the death of Charlie Daniels at age 83. It still does not feel real. He was a hero, an icon to many. I mean, we had some big losses this year, Joe Diffie, Kenny Rogers, but Charlie with his philanthropy and everything that he did in and out of country music just made him larger than life, and his death is being felt around the world Even at this very moment as we record this quite late in the week, it's still a shock to many. I still don't believe it. I still can't believe it happened. Oh, I I remember Monday morning sitting at my uh, computer and, you know, getting news out. And all of a sudden, I get an email saying uh, Country Music Hall of Famer and Southern Rock Pioneer Charlie Daniels passes. I'm like, what? And I texted you immediately. And yeah. you're like, what? Where's the link? And I forwarded you the email, which you had just not seen at that point. And I I got that news out. Um, likely the first outlet to do so. And, you know, that's fun sometimes, but not in situations like this, especially yeah. from someone as, as sweet and as cool as Charlie was, because he, he was very outspoken mm-hmm. uh, on his... Uh, you know, about his faith, about his patriotism and about his about work presidents. and about his work with veterans and the journey home project. So yes. we're going to put a link in the article on this episode for the journey And if you're listening to this and if you can give, cause I know a lot of people are still out of work because of the pandemic, but if you can give anything to the journey home project in lieu of sending flowers or anything for the funeral, which is happening today as we air this on Friday, Mm-hmm. Uh, please do, because it is such an important cause. And people that knew Charlie, and Charlie knew people you wouldn't expect. He knew police commissioners and firemen and called people from all walks of life his friend. And he was so down to earth in that way. And if you knew Charlie for five minutes, you loved him. And I think, I'd like to think that if I weren't such a nervous young interviewer three and four years ago when I had the chance to interview him twice, um, I have a feeling that, you know, had I approached it in a different way, we we would have gotten along. He seemed like the kind of person I, I would love spending my evenings catching up with. He's just that kind of personality. And for years, I did a version of Devil Went Down to Georgia in my ventriloquism act with a juggler, and it would be The Devil Went Down to Juggle. So his <laughs> his his work has been an important part of my life. And so what we're going to do here today... Uh, just to explain to you listeners to honor him. I have another podcast called Talk for Two. I don't tell you that to promote on, on such a somber occasion, but over on that show, I had the chance to talk with Charlie twice. The first was a phone interview, I'm thinking early 2017, late 2016. No, no, this was way back, like 2015. And he was coming to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, to a theater in Lancaster. And at the time, with the podcast, with my posts and my targeting on the posts, I was doing hyper-local targeting to where most of my listeners were at the time in the regions where I'm from, New York and, and in this Lancaster slash Lehigh Valley, Berks County area of Pennsylvania. So I got him for 10 minutes to be able to promote this interview and we to promote this concert with this interview. 
and we talk about him touring. We talk about his love of music. We talk about a bunch of stuff. So that's what this interview is. And then I have another interview that I will set up with another story after we come back. Before we go to this first interview, which was a phoner. Buddy, how did you meet Charlie? I know you have a picture with him. I do, and I, I posted it on my Instagram. Uh, he, a couple times actually, but especially after um, after this happened. I had uh, been in Nashville. I know on my Instagram it, it says a week, but now that I think about it, I, I think it was within a month because I, I remember being there one the, the second week I was there, I met Tim McGraw at the same location, and it wasn't long after that there there was Charlie so uh, anyone that's familiar with Nashville and and just the, the club scene and Broadway and all that he um, he was out back of the Ryman Auditorium in the in the alley mm-hmm. and I was down there doing my thing you know trying trying to get noticed and he uh, he happened to come out and uh, from the Ryman and I am not honestly familiar it's all kind of hazy being over a decade ago on exactly the conditions of why I was back there but uh, I kind of hung out probably talking to people and plus it was the back room of Tootsie's you know it was right out there so um, I just remember going out there and I you know did what every other musician does in town when when you see someone you know you get a picture and you tell them what you do so I told him I played drums he's like oh do you cool and uh, that was kind of the, the extent of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, my roommate and friend were um, with me, uh, and we we got a photo together. So it was um, it was uh, just short, but you know, it was a sweet moment because it's something now that I'll forever have. Um, and I honestly thought for the longest time I lost that picture when I was going through for like Throwback Thursdays and stuff that I occasionally participate in. I was looking for them like, man, where's my Charlie Daniels picture? And I contacted my former roommate. He's like, I think I have it. And I managed to find it, posted it, and then I I had republished it um, following his passing. So I know mine, uh, my uh, run-in with him isn't as extensive as yours. But, uh, you know, it's, it's those moments like that that you get to, to keep in mind. And uh, honestly... You know, we we actually had him almost booked for this show mm-hmm. this year. We we were planning to do it to promote Volunteer the, Jam, and yeah. I will say that we will have whoever wants to come on to talk about Volunteer Jam and talk about Charlie as we get closer to it. I know it's been moved around and and whatnot, and I'm sure it'll take the shape of a memorial this year if they do it. But you know, we it'll be February actually. Yep, they they pushed right. it back to February. I remember that now. last month. Yep. So within a two week period, they postpone it. Charlie suddenly passes, and uh, I just yeah, we we'd love to have anybody on that that would like to. But yeah, we we reached out during the quarantine, and they requested that we do it closer to Volunteer Jam mm-hmm. before that was postponed. And now I was really looking forward to it. Man, it, it was like that's gonna be fun because gotta love charlie daniels and i'm i'm just shocked and saddened and you know we we all are uh, you know you mentioned earlier about how people even outside of nashville uh knew him uh you know in the original article i i published about his passing 
I have a bunch of tweets and stuff. And Eddie Trunk, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, Matt, but uh, he hosts Trunk Fest on um, Access TV and Trunk Nation on Sirius XM. And even, you know, he's a regional, uh, you know him probably from New York. Mm -hmm. He's uh, on rock radio there. Big personality. Um, he even, you know, sent him a tweet out. So um, he, he had him on a Trunk Fest episode a couple years ago. So it's just sad. You know, a, a, a lot of... Uh, nobody expected it. Mm -hmm. It was from a. Um, and I'm gonna try to pronounce. It's from a uh, stroke. Don't even. Don't even try to say it was from a. It was from a stroke. A very severe kind of stroke that is pretty much you have it and you're gone and and that's just unfortunate. It can happen, and unfortunately he'd had a stroke in 2010, and I'm no medical expert, but my understanding because I have a, a grandfather who had a stroke many many years ago and and right side's paralyzed, lost speech. Um, my understanding is when you have a stroke that you recover from, you're kind of at risk for a big one later on in life. So I, yeah. I don't want to say it was a matter of time because you can certainly live out your life and not have it happen again, but that's that's what happened. So that's the shock. But I want to remember him as he was. I want to get to these interviews. Let's listen to that uh, localized phoner, which was really cool and really insightful. Here's the first interview with Charlie, and then we'll come back, and I have a funny story. Here's Charlie. Charlie Daniels, welcome to Talk for Two. How are you today, sir? I'm good. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for coming here and coming to Lancaster on March 25th. What do you love about touring? What keeps you going? It's my life. It's been my life for, gosh, the biggest part of 60 years I've, I've been playing music. And it's something I love. Uh, I just thank God I make a living doing something I enjoy so much. I love getting on stage in front of people. That's what the whole bottom line is, getting on stage in front of people playing my music. That's what it's all about. Wonderful. I know that you've uh, had a couple periods where you couldn't tour. You were recuperating. Do you get restless when you're not on the road? Oh, uh, not really, because it's not. There's only about a two month period of the year that I'm not on the road. I uh, say January, February off, and the rest of the year we're pretty much. I mean, it's not a solid thing. We don't go out and stay for three months or anything like that. But we'll go out for a few days. Like right now, I'm talking in Florida. We're on a, a five day run down here. We played. Uh, we've been down here for a couple of days. We're headed down. We'll finish up in Melbourne, Florida on Friday, then head back home, and then head out again the next week. So we're in and out a little bit. So I get a taste of both worlds, uh, going home and going on the road. It's, it's a good balance for me. I really enjoy it. That is wonderful. I want to go back to the beginning, if we can, back to your childhood. What made you decide you wanted to play the fiddle? I really don't know, other than just it was something. I was I, Even before I learned to play one chord on a guitar, I used to go to, to shows, and I'd see people playing, and it just... It just it just fascinated me. It just overwhelmed me. I just loved it. And, and I had no, aspir I mean, I had aspirations, but I didn't have any more withal to try to, or no vehicle to get me there. And I, a friend of mine had an old guitar and you knew a couple of chords on it. And he taught those to me and we kind of went on from there and started learning how to play. And uh, once I got to where I could play a whole song, that's all I wanted to do. I mean, I was, I was with it. And then after I played guitar for a year or so, uh, I started playing with a mandolin and then a fiddle. And just, you know, it's something that you've got to put your time into. And that's what I did. That's what I, most kids were going to movies and stuff. And I'd be sitting at the house practicing my instrument. 
Mm-hmm. So it was something I really wanted to do really bad. And the more I did it, the more I liked it, the more I wanted to do it well. So I just kept going at it. Yeah, and there's something I wanted to ask you about. I don't know if you get asked about this a lot, but I saw you uh, talk about this before, your vocal style. You described uh-huh. it, and there's a name for it. It's a kind of like talk singing. And I, I think it was one of your concert specials, the DVDs, uh, you talk about this style. Could you could you tell us a little bit about that? Because it's so wonderful and unique. I think what you're talking about is a certain type of song that I do. It's called a talking blues, like yes. an easy rider, for instance. Yes, that is an old style of uh, of song. It's just dialogue set to music, rhyming dialogue set to music, and I don't know where the terminology came from. It was it's been around for as long as I can remember. It used to be a guy by the name of Robert Lund, who you probably never even heard of. That used to be on the Grand Ole Opry back in the early parts of my life, and he did that. He did he did a, a thing he called the talking talking blues, and it was just you know. Dialogue, rhyming, metered dialogue that was set to music, and I, I just always kind of like it. It's, it's another way to tell a story, basically. Storytelling, the the bedrock of country music. And speaking of the Grand Ole Opry, you're a member, and you were just inducted to the Country Music Hall of Fame this year in this with I, this past I, class. How does that feel? I, I can't even articulate the honor that that was for me. Um, it was uh, something that you, that's the one you don't even dream about because you have absolutely no control over it. Yeah. You have no, I mean, there's nothing that, uh, you just hope that one day some people walk in a theater and, um, a theater, walk, I'm still walking in theaters, walk in a room and enough people, somebody says, let's put Charlie Daniels in the Hall of Fame and enough people raise their hands to get it done. Uh, you don't even know who's voting for it because we keep that pretty well secret about who the committee is and nominating the voting committees. So I knew absolutely nothing about it until the night that it happened. And I was told by the head of the CMA Music Association that I was being inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame. And it just literally, it floored me. I was so humbled and so happy about it. Well, it's about darn time. You are a country music well, legend, I, I, I have to say. And I want to dig in before we let you go. I know we got about five minutes left here. I want to talk to you about my favorite song. You think you think it's going to be uh, Devil, and I love Devil, but I want to talk about The Legend of Wooly Swamp. Where did that idea come from to write The Legend of Wooly Swamp? That happens to be an idea that I have quite a bit to say on. I mean, a song I have quite a bit to say on because I I remember, sometimes I don't remember the exact circumstances to write a song, but I do that one. I decided I wanted to write a ghost story. I don't know where that motivation came from. It just seemed like a good thing to do. And, of course, we're looking back many, many years ago, and I, I looked around for an Indian legend or something that I could theme a ghost story around, and I happened to think about this place I used to hunt in when I was a kid down in North Carolina. It was called the Woolly Swamp, and it was a dreary old place, and of course I had a lot of poetic license. Nobody lived there. There were no alligators and that sort of thing, but I went ahead and just used my poetic license and, and thought about the old Woolly Swamp, about how what a great setting it was for this kind of thing, and had there been a house there and a Lucius Clay living there, and just went on let my imagination run wild and ended up with uh, with this tune. That's incredible. And it's one of your hits. Do you still play it live? Will we hear it in Lancaster? Oh, yeah. awesome. Every night. Every night. Well, that's what I'm curious. You, you can't get away without doing songs like that. You can't get away without doing Orange Blossom Special. And you can't get away without doing The Devil Went Down to Georgia. 
do you ever get tired of playing all these all these older hits, or, or is it no, fun I for don't. you every night? That's fun for me every night. Every song I play is fun for me every night. I'm just thankful to God I can make a living doing something I love so very much. With us, we've had a lot of albums out, and with us, it's not a problem what to play. It's always a problem what to leave out. <laughs> what do you leave out? Can you leave out Legend of Wooly Swamp? Can you leave out Long Haired Country Boy? Can you leave out certain songs you can't leave out? So then it comes down to kind of splitting hairs as you take the songs that uh, you could leave out if you had to, and you see which ones you want to put in. Every year at the start of the year, we get together and put a new show together. So we just got through doing that, and we got a brand new show for you. And Lancaster, we've uh, got some new music that you've never heard us play, brand new song. And then we've gone back and grabbed a couple of old jewels, uh, like uh, old Blue Star and uh, Cabal Diablo and some things you haven't heard in a long time. And it's a, it's, it's a nice show. I'm really enjoying doing it. That's a lot of fun. And you're bringing, you're bringing Southern culture with you wherever you go. How does it feel to get to share the culture that this music comes from? Well, I don't even think about it. It's just me. It's where I come from. It's what I am. I speak with a Southern accent, the Southern vernacular. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm just Southern. I mean, I'm, I, there's, there's nothing uh, offensive about it. I'm not being offensive about it. I'm not, you know, saying I'm Southern and I'm better than anybody else. I don't mean that at all. I don't have that kind of attitude. But the, the thing is, it's just, I think everybody should be happy and, and and proud of their heritage, of where they're from, of their accent, of how they talk, how they speak, how they look at things. We're all Americans to start with, and then we're Southerners and Northerners and that sort of thing as time goes on. That's wonderful. My last question for you in our last two minutes here. Uh, what is your advice for young musicians? We always close out asking our guests for advice. First of all, make sure everybody don't have to be a professional musician. You're better off sometimes playing the lounge at the Holiday Inn and staying home. Because if you're gonna, if you if you're not really really into it and you don't want it worse than everybody else, they're just gonna break your heart. Mm-hmm. So uh, everybody don't have to do it professionally. Sometimes you can set your music appetite by by playing on weekends and New Year's Eve and that sort of thing. But if you are very, you know, very very special, I've got a book coming out uh, in October. It's called Never Look at the Empty Seat, and it's all about accentuate the positive. Because when you first start playing. You're going to play a lot of the NPCs. Nobody knows who you are. And if you get, you can't get past that phase in your career, you're not going to make it. If you can't walk in a half house and say, look, we're going to play tonight just like we had a, like every place was like they were sitting in the aisles tonight. We've got to accentuate the positive. You've got to stay with it. You've got to do your best every night. And then you got a shot. If you can't do that, don't even try. Don't even try. Charlie Daniels, thank you so much for being here with us. I cannot wait for your show in Lancaster. Thank you so much. Uh, It's always a treat to have you in Pennsylvania. Thank you. Thank you very much. God bless. Bye-bye. I love hearing his voice. He has a voice that if you hear him talk, you, you know it's him, right? I mean... Oh, yeah, of course. It's just amazing. Now, I have to tell a story going back years, back to when my 26-year-old butt was 8 years old, so almost 20 years ago. We were in Nashville, Tennessee for a conference for my mom's work. And it was at the Opryland Hotel. And the reason I got to go along was because Mr. Charlie Daniels was Mr. Charlie Daniels was the closing act for this conference. They hired in a big name act for a, it's called doing a corporate corporate gig. 
they they hired him in for this corporate gig. I'm sure they spent a lot of money. And that was back when Taz was still alive. When Taz, so Charlie's with Taz again, which that has me choked up. That was when I got to see him with Taz. And so actually, and I think I might have told this show on uh, this, uh, this story on another podcast where there's a WSM, or maybe I just told you, there's a WSM satellite in the Opryland, and I got mm-hmm. to go in, little eight-year-old me got to go in and tease this Charlie Daniels performance that nobody could go to because it was a private event, but the guy let right. me broadcast over the air. So we were fan club members. My whole family was members of the CDB fan club. So we went and we got a meet and greet. It was actually surprisingly open for a meet and greet for the fan club. If you were a member of the fan club and you were attending the private event, you could meet him. So we did that. We did that. And all the muckety mucks, the big wigs at the conference who had hired him and had, were responsible for putting on the conference, etc., they were there with expectant looks on his face. Because I remember it. And this is like, you know how you have flashes of memory uh, as, as a child that just stick with you for whatever reason? I'll never forget. Yeah. We were lined up along two sides of the wall. I think they had separated fan club and conference and here he come down the aisle to his table past all of us they didn't bring him in like the back it was one way in one way out so he said and all the muckety mucks thought they were going to go first and he said oh no i want to see the fan clubs they came they're the fans they gave me Uh, my career i want to see them first so i got to he said that yes to them yes wow well to his handlers but but we heard right. him say, no, fan club goes first. So so he's he's there, and I go up, and I don't know, I must have just been cute as a button or whatever, but <laughs> he meet, we meet, and for the picture, he takes off his iconic hat, and he put it on my head, and there's a picture, and we'll, we'll have it in the post, and he, he puts the hat, on my head, and I just have, I'm grinning from ear to ear. Fast forward 15 years, maybe, and I get the chance to interview him for his memoir in person at a concert at the St. George Theater, my f- one of my favorite venues in New York, and because the people there treat treat us so well when we go to cover a concert, and I got right. to I got there early. I set up in the green room. And here he come with his escort, because he gets escort into the building, two police escorts. I just shook his hand. I don't even think the guy knew my name, right? And I was so, I was so, because he was a big dude. And I don't mean fat, because, I mean, yeah, he had a belly and whatever. But he was, he was an imposing figure, just with the hat and everything. And he just, he just. He had this aura. Yeah, exactly. And I was, Okay, well, I'm just going to get to work, and I'm not even going to introduce myself. And I realized I hadn't introduced myself, because when we went to do the autograph portion, he said, hey, remind me of your name again, son. And I'm like, Matt. And I'm like, crap, should have had a V8. And I sh- I had him sign, and they are here somewhere, and I'm kicking myself that I don't remember where I have them. Multiple pictures that he signed for me of that picture of me in the hat. And then we went to do a picture together, and off comes the hat. And on it goes on my head. <laughs> so 15 years later, I have a picture of myself with Charlie Daniels doing the same damn thing. And darn if I on the aren't I on the same side <laughs> of him. Uh, that is super cool. That's not a story you told me before. So that uh, 
That's cool. That just shows you what kind of uh, man he was, the caliber of an act that he was, even though he was this huge star in all facets of his career. He treated everybody as if they were like his own kids or grandkids or however. And, um, you know, his tweets a lot uh, kind of showed just the, the true patriot that he is. Benghazi so, ain't going away. Exactly. And I don't know if you've seen, but family's keeping it. Yep. Alive and posting that stuff. What I don't understand, but, and what I wish I could know, is they signed the tr- the tweets Team CDB slash BW. Do you know what the BW stands for? I don't. It's very strange. I don't. But it's interesting. Hmm. But it's so cool to see that Twitter still active, and they're still doing his most famous lines every day. You know, what gets me is um, that, you know, he was doing, he tweeted Sunday. He had tweeted Sunday, um, yep. you know, and, and he was very deep into faith and everything, too. So his his mm-hmm. last tweet was like whenever I saw it, it was like 22 hours before the press release came through. And it was, you know, Lord, give us the courage to speak our mind, to be honest and bold about our feelings, no matter who or how many we go against. And I'll be damned. If he wasn't gone less than 24 hours later. Yeah, it's chilling. It's chilling. It, it's Here, one chilling now. On the next. And, you know, I, I thought about his family. I thought about all the artists who've worked with him. Travis Tritt was close to him. The Oaks, you know, they've all posted mm-hmm. something. Um, of course, Joe posted something himself as well. Um, you know, the governor of, of Tennessee, Mike Huckabee. John Trisha Rich. Trisha Yearwood. Yeah, um, Mark Wills, for those that you know, know 90s country, uh, Ricky Skaggs, uh, Love and Theft, which are a new artists, Jake Owen, Luke Combs, Jason Aldean, Luke Bryan, just all these acts and more who just, you know, Dolly Parton had a huge, um, a, a huge thing about him, you know, that, that she released. And uh, it's not in the article because it came well after the article was published. Um, but it just tells you what kind of man he was and all these fans sharing things, you know, uh, most people loved him. Uh, I, you know, I, I saw some, somebody that just was a little too outlandish calling him a racist. And that's just because they disagree with what he says. And that's just the world we're in right now. It's yeah, shitty, but that's that, the world we're in. And that corollary, I'm I'm not even touching that today. And we're not. Um, I just yeah. just just saying that the fans just loved him, whether they were diehard fans or casual fans or maybe they were newer fans. But but these volunteer jams just brought in so many people to raise money for for veterans that he uh, he brought in a new younger you know audience. What I want people to walk away from understanding about Charlie Daniels is that he didn't stop. It didn't stop. He was always around, always doing stuff. Mm -hmm. He was still touring. He was going to be on tour this year until everything happened. The thing about that is that he showed no signs of slowing down. They built a road case. This is where I was headed with this. They built a road case for him that had a chair in it. 
So when the band would jam, like when it would when he would be done and he'd turn it over to the band, right. he would go around and it would be on stage and you would see him sit down in this case so that he could rest for a minute, have a drink, water, whatever, and come back. And then about halfway through the show, they'd put a stool on stage and he'd sit down and then he'd end standing. He accommodated himself, much like Mickey Gilly does when we talked about that when we aired his episode. He accommodated himself so that he wouldn't have to stop. Right. So that the people that worked for him, I want to give a shout out to Paula Zygus. Publicists, the people that work behind the scenes, they don't get love, but they deserve it. Because mm, Paula saw something in me to let me chat with Charlie that first time. Saw something in what we were doing to say, yeah, we'll, we'll arrange it for August. She, I found out today through a friend, has been with him for 40 years. Wow. 40 years as the in-house marketing coordinator, Paula Zygus. I can't imagine what her and the band and everybody that he worked his ass off to make sure they were still employed, to make sure that they had a living. I can't imagine what they're feeling right now, which is which is why, and I'll let you talk here, but which is why I say go support the Journey Home Project because I'm sure a lot of the staff that worked in what Charlie called the home office, they're going to be moving a lot of their efforts and a lot of their employees over to that organization. So not only do they need support for their efforts, they probably need support to keep the offices up and running because that touring revenue, not only is it gone because of the pandemic, it's gone because Charlie Daniels is gone. Yeah. So, so... Just I want I want Paula to know I'm looking out for her and the entire team, and I love her to death. Even though I maybe spoke to her twice and a couple of times over email, I never forget people, and we love you, Paula, and we're we're thinking about you. Yeah, and and his wife Hazel of uh, yes, geez, I don't even know how many years they were married, and his son, and then their adopted uh, grandkids. You know, um, yeah, you know, and, and uh, like we mentioned, Volunteer Jam was scheduled for the fall, been pushed to February of next year. Hopefully, that stays on track. There, um, you know, I, I can't imagine anything less than a tribute to the founder. I mean, we got Marshall Tucker Band, Chris Jansen, Charlie Pride, the Gatlin Brothers, Big and Rich, Gretchen Wilson, Cowboy Troy, Keb Moe, the Outlaws, Atlanta Rhythm Section, Travis Dinning, Mickey Gilly is going to be on that, Johnny Lee, Scooter Brown Band, Steel Drivers, Pure Prairie League 38 Special, the Almond Bats Band, and just so many more that are expected to be announced i i can imagine this list will grow and likely be a four to five hour event because you cannot put these people in a room together and pay tribute to charlie in two hours there's no way no no absolutely not and i bet it's filmed i i bet it's going to be some type of special uh you know like cmt did for kenny rogers earlier this year and uh you know we as, as much as I hate to say we look forward to seeing it, but it, it's going to be a great send-off. It'll be send beautiful, off. and I'm hoping I can go cover it because I'm closer to Nashville, and I'd love yeah. for you to join me, buddy, but I, I hope that I can I can do I can do that. I'm sad that I won't be able to get down there this weekend for the funeral, but COVID is keeping me here in Pennsylvania quarantined, and mm-hmm. I'm, just, I'm just absolutely beside myself. This is just so sad. And I think you'll see Nashville rally around his family. Country music will come together and it'll be beautiful. So with that said, I want to get to that interview that I did in 2017 about Never Look at the Empty Seats, his memoir, which is still available. 
the and what we're going to do here is something a little different. We're not going to do a sign off. We're not going to come back after this interview. We're going to let Charlie Daniels have the last word. And we're not going to play any music going out. So once Charlie's done, that's that's the end of the episode. That's Charlie sending it off. It is my honor to welcome back to Talk for Two, Mr. Charlie Daniels. How thank, are you, sir? Thank you, man. I'm fine. Good to see you tonight. Good to see you. Well, I am. Uh, what does it mean for you to be back in New York? Well, we have. You know, oddly enough, this is one of the few places in the world I've never played Staten Island. Never really? played. Never played Staten Island. So we're we're remedying that tonight. Well, I know you just got here, but you're gonna yeah. find out that this is a beautiful theater. I saw pictures of it. I'm I'm, I'm sure it is. Now. Uh, actually, it's funny. I know that you've been doing meet and greets for quite a while because when I was mm-hmm. eight years old, you played the APCO conference for nine people, and you put your hat <laughs> on me. <laughs> Got to show you that. You could have slept in that hat. Yeah, really. <laughs> what does it mean to you to do these meet and greets? And well, it's it's where you get to see fans. You get to meet with the people who buy your records, buy your concert tickets. It's a uh, I've been do I've always done meet and greets just about my whole career. I used to do them after the show, but since I got older, it's easier for me to do them before the show and I can get on the bus and leave when I get out. Yeah, less tired. Any other pre-show rituals? I don't know. There's not really a ritual. I just do it. It's something I do. No, I just come in, do my meet and greet, get on stage, pick. That's awesome. Now, I want to talk about this book. There's posters all around here. Mm-hmm. I read it cover to cover. I mean, mm-hmm. I couldn't put it down. I had planned to read it throughout the 10 days from when I got it. I finished it in three days. Well, I'm honored. Why now? In the acknowledgments you talk about, it took years to write it. Why now? Why was it ready now? Well, it was ready because I could never find a place to end it until I was uh, inducted into the Country Music Hall of Fame, and I thought that'd be a great place to end it. So I, I had been writing on it for, gosh, I guess probably 20 years or so, just bits and pieces. And I'd finally kind of made it into a book form and, and went ahead and kind of formalized it, you know, into chapters and that have, or at least of subjects and times. And uh, I could never find a place to stop it until they told me I was going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. So I thought, what a great place to end it. So I did. That's incredible. And we talked about that last time, that incredible honor. One of the, you talk a lot about the Marshall Tucker Band and mm-hmm. Leonard Skinner mm-hmm. in the book. Uh, can you talk about, because you don't really touch on this, I'm curious, how they influenced the CDB music? Well, we were uh, already a band and been playing a good little while when we got into, you know, to, to, uh, playing with Marshall Tucker and all, I, I'm sure they, I think we, they probably influenced us in the, in the, you know, we were the same kind of people, we were friends, it was more, I never saw Southern, I never saw Southern rock, I never saw it to be a genre of, of music, it was more a genre of people, like they were all people like I'd known all my life, I knew the, the financial, the social, the, all of the, all of the, the, kind of environment that they grew up in was the same environment I grew up in, so we had an awful lot in common. That's really cool. Another thing you talk about in the book is, uh, oh, first of all, before we get to that, the jam session with mm-hmm. Bob Dylan and George Harrison. I knew uh, I would ask you this. You got to make a request on that mm-hmm. jam session. Do you remember what you requested? Uh, one, of the, one of the songs I requested, Gates of Eden, which was a kind of an obscure song that Bob did way back a long time ago. Oh, wow. He couldn't remember very much of it. He just played a little bit of it. <laughs> And those first overseas trips, you talk a lot, you mm-hmm. dedicate two chapters, if I remember correctly, to uh, the military and to going overseas. Mm-hmm. What what did it teach you about America? Well, I knew a lot about America before I ever went overseas. I, I was born before the Second World War started. I was five years old when it started. So I went all through that. My formative years were during the Second World War. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I, I say it on stage every night, only two things protect America, it's the grace of God and the United States military. So, you know, going over to entertain them in a, a place where they were working, where they were fighting, it was a, a big, big honor to me. Mm -hmm. How did it feel when you realized that the helicopter had been hit and was under attack? Well, it was not actually, I don't know if they, uh, the amount of hit it was some small arms probably, but not. I didn't know that's what was happening. I honestly didn't. I thought they were doing, I don't know, every time you get on a helicopter, it seemed like that the pilots would tell you they're going to do some maneuvers on the way back. Yeah. And I don't know if they tell you that, if they have to take evasive action, or I guess they got used to doing it. But uh, I had no, I, I thought it was a maneuver going on. And, uh, you know, I had good Lord looking at me. That's, That's the big thing. A lot of the first part of the book is talking about growing up and you moved around a lot. Mm -hmm. Were your parents, did your parents encourage your interest in music? Yeah, they did encourage it. Uh, my, my dad, it was, it, was, uh, it was a sad thing. My dad passed away before I ever had my first hit record. Just a very short, just a few weeks before I had my first hit record. But he, he didn't play an instrument, but he did sing and he loved music and he loved me, he, he loved me playing music. It was a, a big deal to him. I wish he could know all the things that had happened to me since he passed away. Well, you were very fortunate, as was I, to have parents that, that encouraged yeah. you. Because it could have been easy for them to say, no, nope, put it away. <laughs> that's, that's great. Now, I want to talk about something that's been in the news, but you touch on this in the book. And uh, give me a minute here to flesh out the idea, because okay. I don't want to offend you. The idea of Southern pride, of, of mm -hmm. being proud of the South. And I, you talk about uh, a little bit about the, uh, the flack that the South's going to do it again. Uh, got when it came out for, for kind of co-opting the, the rise again. What do we have to do to remove the idea of Southern pride from this idea of, of racism? I don't think we have to do anything because that's not what it is. I know. And you know, here, here's the thing about it. We got 100 people a day coming to Nashville. Mm -hmm. Most of them are not from the South. They're from up here in this part of the country, all over the country. If it's such a horrible place, why in the hell are all these people from New York and New Jersey and Rhode Island and California, why are they coming? So it's not, you know, that, that's a bunch of junk. That's a media thing. Yeah. I mean, they got to have something to write about. They're, having Southern pride is not being prejudiced at all. Mm -hmm. It's being proud of where you're from. You should be proud of where you're from. You're a New Yorker, you ought to be proud of New York. Or you should be. And I, so I'm from North Carolina, Dean's from Tennessee. Jackie's from Georgia. We're all proud of where we're from. You know, it's like our home. It's 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 uh, as far as we're concerned, it's the best place in the world. But like I say, there's an awful lot of people from an awful lot of places that totally agree with us. We got people moving from from up here in this part of the country and all over the place into into the southern, not just Tennessee, but the southern states. I mean, they're they're just flooding in there. So if if it was as bad as you know, if they really thought it was bad and it was prejudice and it was that sort of thing, they wouldn't come. So, you know, I'll answer you that way. No, I appreciate it. I, look, I, I love your opinions on stuff. I've, I've read all of your stuff, so I wanted to ask you that. Now, if we can go on a, a quick somber note here, of course, mm -hmm. your good friend Troy Gentry passed away he did. recently. Um, you talk a lot about when you grieve, you write, and you write poems. Did you write anything, if I may ask, for Troy? I did not. I didn't write anything for Troy. Uh, I didn't, uh, nothing just came to me. I mean, a lot of times, See, I, I, some other guys that I spent a lot of time around, and, and like Toy and Tommy Caldwell and those guys, Ronnie Van Zant and people that I had spent a lot of time around that I really knew well, 
uh, it just kind of came, you know, I sat down and put it together and I, nothing really came, you know, I mean, I, I didn't really have a poem that came into my mind about Troy, but okay. I did go to his funeral and we did pay homage to him. Yeah, the second time I saw you uh, was at the Bloomsburg Fair, that you remember because it was mm -hmm. years ago, and they opened for you, so uh -huh. they have always been yeah. tied to you. Yeah. So, that's, uh, now I wanted to ask if you consider yourself at heart, uh, this is a really lofty question, but you talk about your love of literature and your love of poetry. At your heart, with all of this uh, cultural stuff, at your heart, do you consider yourself a poet? Oh, well, I write poems, but mm -hmm. I don't, uh, I, I would think, I, I would tie poems in with people like Shelley and Keats and mm -hmm. people who devoted their life to writing poetry. I didn't do that. I, I can mean poetry to be songwriting. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, yeah, then, then if songwriting po is poetry, then I'm a poet, definitely. Well, it is to... It is to me. Now, uh, I want to thank you so much. I know we said only about 10 or 15 minutes, so you have uh, an excellent meet and greet coming up here and mm -hmm. an excellent show, so I'm really, really looking forward to it. So. How much time you got, Jay, for the meet and greet? I don't want to just cut you off. Okay, what we do about it? You can do another 10 if you'd like. Oh, great. Great. So, uh, this tour, I, I wanted to ask you about your routing because. Last time we talked was to promote a show up in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. you come to Lancaster, and now you're here in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, it's rare that artists will hit the same region within the same same year. What do you look for in venues when you tour? Well, we don't. I don't really have very much to do with it. We just take the offers that come through our booking agency, gets the offers, they solicit offers, and they get offers, and they come to them, and then they pass them on to my office. And it's basically a territory type thing. We got, in other words, we don't want to have to be driving a thousand miles a night. Mm -hmm. we, we'd like ideally to have everything that would not be over five, four or five hundred miles between shows. Mm -hmm. So if we're on the West Coast, obviously we couldn't come back to New York and do a show. Or if we're in New York, we can't go to the West Coast and do a show. So it depends on where we are. In other words, if we want to play here, and somebody called in and said we'd offer the Pennsylvania data. Uh, Philadelphia date, or then somebody said we got a Boston date, and this that all those dates would fit together. So that's basically what it comes down to: is where we are. You know, when, when we go into our area, we work. You know, we try to work out that work that area out. Did you take the bus here? Did you? Fly I took here? the bus. I always take the bus. Excellent. If I can, sometimes you have to fly, but I always try to take the bus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's really interesting to me to see you just still performing. Do you? You said at the end of the book that you're just gonna. Keep doing it. Retirement's never, ever crossed your Well, till the Lord calls me home or people get tired of hearing me, whichever it is, whatever comes first. Those days in, I know I'm jumping around, but I'm just I'm just thinking back to the book. Those days in Texas, mm. going across the border to Mexico, uh -huh. and, um, you know, what was the wake-up call for you that that wasn't what you should be doing? I don't really know, other than I just came to my senses one day and said I'm not, I'm treading water. I'm not doing anything. I didn't. I'm not doing anything I set out to do. I'm not getting any further. I'm just parting my life away down here on the Mexican border. Uh, and I'm not making any headway. I'm not ever going to do anything else. So I said, enough's enough. So I made arrangements to head back east and get back in the game again. How did you? I forget. How did you end up down there? What took you down? Well, I was in a bad marriage, and I went down there. I just was wandering around, and and uh, we ended up going down there. Ended up getting a Mexican divorce down there, <laughs> and. Uh, I just had a friend. I had a friend there, and I called him up and asked him if he wanted to put a band together. And he said, "Yeah." So that was that was the motivation that got me there. 
you talk in the book too about kind of in that time and a little after and a little before finding your own voice mm -hmm. after being in a copy band. Mm -hmm. Can you take us into that process? Well, I had played in copy bands and played copy music for like 13 years in clubs, and the more you could sound like the record, the better off you were. Mm -hmm. And I had fallen into the habit of interpreting the song the way that I felt that a certain artist would, if it was an Elvis-type song or a, a whatever type of song. And I found myself, uh, when I would get through doing my vocals and I would listen back, there would be, and not a direct copy by any means, but I could hear the influences of other people on me. Mm -hmm. So when we did Fire on the Mountain, which was our fifth album, I said, I am going to open my mouth and whatever comes out is me. Mm -hmm. So I did. That's the first album I was ever really happy with my vocals on, and I've done that ever since. That's, that's excellent, because I was surprised that you had spent all this time doing these these copy bands because a lot of the songs that were really really famous for you are those we talked about this the last time that talking blues mm -hmm. devil went down to georgia redneck fool and man which is one of my favorites um was there anything that led you to that decision to go into sort of the talking blues no no i just it's all, that's something i'd heard all my life i just had an idea for a song mm -hmm. i had it for i think on easy rider was probably the first one i did and i just had an idea for it and just you know, story songs uh, kind of came naturally to me, especially when I first started writing. Because I could, you know, you come up with what you want to say and how you want to start it and how you want to end it. You just fill the middle and you got a song. So I, I, it was kind of natural for me to write story songs and it was kind of natural for me for, to do spoken word, you know, type stuff. To this day, when you hear, because you were in a copy band, is it is it a sign of, of pride to you or a marker of pride that people are now covering your oh, stuff? Oh gosh, yes. I I am very very pleased anytime I hear anybody doing our music, somebody records one of my songs or something. I'm very happy about it. For my last question, I want to flip the script on you. You've mm -hmm. been asked about Devil so many times, and you say mm -hmm. you'd think that'd be the song that has the interesting story, but it doesn't. Uh -huh. What song has the interesting story? Ah, uh, gosh, I don't know. Legend of Willie Swan, I would think did. Uh, it's a real place. I had an idea in my mind I wanted to write a ghost story. I, I was writing story songs and I wanted to do one about a, a ghost story and I tried to find one and I never could. I thought maybe I'd find some old mountain tale or some Indian you know, ghost story or something like legend or something, but I never could. And it popped in my mind, Woolly Swamp, place where I used to hunt when I was a kid. We used to coon hunt there, so we went there at night. And uh, it was just a spooky place and I used a lot of poetic license with it. There were no alligators. Nobody lived there, but it was a kind of a place that, and there's no quicksand, obviously, but it was the kind of place you could imagine something like that happening. So I just filled the characters in, put the old man there, and brought the boys in and went for it. Mm -hmm. I normally stop there with my guests and let them have the last word, but I want to say the last word. Okay. Because 12 years ago, when we played that conference at the Opryland Hotel, it was mm -hmm. for 911 communications workers. Mm -hmm. I don't know how long they had booked you for, mm -hmm. um, but. They said that when you found out who it was for, you didn't charge them for an extra hour of playing. And I just want to. Well, we don't. We, you know, I, I, made I, I, we 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 uh, we tend to play as long as the traffic will allow. You know, I mean, yeah. whatever traffic will bear. Uh, that was no. We don't even deserve complimenting for that because that's something we just do. You know, it's not. I mean, I'm glad they perceived it as a favor, <laughs> but however long we played was yeah. they were welcome to it.